Hi everyone, we're back with another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Today's guest is someone who is passionate about helping women live their most healthful and happy lives. Brooke Boscovich is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and a functional and integrative practitioner. She focuses on nutrition and lifestyle to help women with issues from infertility to irregular cycles. It was fascinating to hear all about the ways that nutrition interacts with mental, physical, and reproductive health, and how seemingly small adjustments can make a huge impact on your life. Brooke's work is so essential in helping women broaden their awareness and more deeply become aware of their bodies. I walked away from this conversation feeling inspired to further educate myself and my daughter on all the things that I learned in today's episode. No matter where you're at in your journey, and even if you don't think you want kids someday, like fertility is so, so important just for your overall health. So don't hesitate to reach out to a a dietitian or somebody that is specializing in fertility and has that kind of holistic approach with nutrition and lifestyle. In today's episode, you will learn strategies for working with your body instead of against it, tips on nutrition and how to improve your mental and physical health, and the importance of educating yourself and having an open conversation with your daughters. Welcome to another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show today. We have Brooke. She's a registered dietitian, nutritionist, a functional and integrative practitioner, the founder of the Fertility Dietitian, and the creator of the Master Your Fertility and Foundations for Optimizing Your Fertility Programs. And Brooke is passionate about women's health and fertility and has helped dozens of women with irregular cycles, PCOS, unexplained infertility, endometriosis, and other fertility struggles and regulate their cycles and take home a healthy baby. So with that kind of being said, I'd love to hear from you what started this journey for you and why you found it to be so important in your work. Yeah, so I I got into the fertility niche as a dietitian really from my own my own personal story with struggles with cycle health and coming off birth control and kind of navigating know what I'm supposed to feel like, like without a pill. (laughs) Um, um, So one thing after another led me to be working with clients who are struggling with fertility. And personally, like I struggled with anxiety the most as, as far as the mental health piece for me, that was definitely something that I, I, found help with nutrition and lifestyle change to, to help manage um, anxiety as well. Like my doctors were unfortunately not very supportive. They were wanting to put, put me on more pills, different kinds of pills, but, but learning more about the importance of how, how nutrition really supports mood as well as the hormone balance piece made me want to help everybody <laughs> with that, that's struggling with, with similar symptoms. How do you see diet impacting people's mental health while they're going f- through infertility? In so many ways. I mean, I think one of the most common things that couples have been practicing before they come see me is restriction. Like they're cutting out food groups or they're experimenting with all sorts of different diets, but the restriction piece of it is 
draining. It increases stress uh, on top of like the trying to conceive peace. Like our, our, our body needs to feel safe in order to support fertility. So when it doesn't feel safe, it's really hard to regulate our mood. So depression is higher. Um, anxiety and stress are higher. And we end up not sleeping as well if we're not eating enough, which also impacts mental health in really big ways, as you know. So it's, it's a really vicious cycle and the eating pattern is really helpful in trying to manage um, that cycle and improve our, our well-being mentally. For people who come in and they are restricting and they think that by eliminating different groups of food or different elements of food, that it's going to improve fertility. Do you find that reintroducing the foods back does improve the kind of goal of conceiving? How do you see bringing foods back into a diet actually helping more than the restricting piece? Yeah. So it's very individualized. So if we're talking about allergies or things that are definitely causing symptoms in the gut, like, like we're really gentle with that and navigating what might be important to come back in. I, I look at it from like a, a nutrient standpoint, like what nutrients are going to be really supportive of things like egg quality and sperm quality, as well as, um, helping our bodies build progesterone to help support conception and, and those things. So we start small typically because it can be really scary to add foods back in when you've been restricting for so long and you're kind of afraid of eating the wrong thing and how that's going to be impacting your fertility. But I, I find that nutrient dense foods, especially like animal proteins are really beneficial, a beneficial place to start if, if there has been restriction around that. And then really just as important are, are carbohydrates. So females, especially need carbohydrates to support fertility. And I mean, they're important for, for everybody just because our, our cells favorite fuel is, is glucose, which is broken down carbs. So it's easiest for our bodies to use that type of nutrient to support our, our everyday functions, as well as um, the, the very energy intensive process of supporting fertility. So if we're over restricting carbs or, or those nutrients that are so important for fertility, our bodies kind of, they go into a mode that is going to be basically just trying to keep you alive. It's, and they don't feel safe enough to support fertility. So if we get that energy back on board and slowly start introducing it, it can be, be really, really beneficial for hormones and just how your body perceives how safe it is to be able to support fertility. When you say the body needs to feel safe, can you elaborate a little bit more what you mean by that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we can think of stress both mentally and, and physically stress physically might be something like blocked tubes or inflammation in the gut, actual injuries mentally. It could be environmental stress or relationship stress or not eating enough or not sleeping enough or well enough. Um, those are really big stressors on the body. So any type, no matter where that stress is coming from, our body is going to be sending resources to help overcome or decrease 
that stress response, manage that stress response, meaning that it doesn't have enough resources left over typically to support fertility. Um, Because when I say resources, I'm really talking about nutrients and nutrition because stress really, really rapidly depletes a lot of nutrients at a cellular level. So if you're depleting those, no matter where the stress is coming from, you're not going to have enough left over to support things like egg quality and reproductive environment in, in the way that's going to support fertility and improve your chances of taking home a healthy baby. What does a healthy breakfast look like in your mind? How would you kind of envision starting your day with a diet that is not I mean, diet, not as in dieting, but the actual kind of diet of a person. What's a great breakfast in your opinion? Something that is high in protein, but also includes carb and fat. So I am a big fan of eggs. Um, Eggs are really nutrient dense, good protein source. Um, Adding in berries or citrus are awesome for a carbohydrate source that are also really rich in antioxidants Um, and not being afraid of fat. So whether you're cooking your eggs in the fat or you're adding fat like avocado or something on there, that really, really supports those messages of safety and breakfast just in itself is so, so important to help, help start your day out in a a less stressed state because of the cortisol rise that can happen um, just naturally as we wake up. If we let that kind of continue to go, we, we are essentially living off of cortisol, which is a stress hormone rather than food and nutrition. I think there's an interesting connection there that most people don't realize like cortisol actually helps us support or manage our our blood sugar in our body. Um, So if we're going too long without eating, our stress hormone cortisol is higher and that's definitely linked to longer time to, to baby. That makes a lot of sense. And do you think that restricting not only because we are taught online to cut out food groups that might be impacting our fertility, but also just the idea of wanting to be thin and having a perfect little baby bump and the body image impact. Do you see people also dieting for any reasons due to the pressure of body image in pregnancy? hundred percent as, as little girls and, and little boys, but, but probably a bigger impact on, on little girls from a very young age. You know, we're, we're seeing what's happening in society and what's on magazines and in the media and everything and trying to eat and look a certain way. And even just that history, if you have a history of chronically under eating or yo-yo dieting, like that's impacting your fertility now. So even if you're trying to make changes and eat more now, like it can take some time based on like what your experience and your history has been. But yeah, so many, so many women that come to me are still struggling with that body image piece and are like really fearful of eating more because of what's going to happen with how they look and, and their image that they've been trying to either achieve or maintain for so long. Um, so that's a huge piece of the, the mental health part of, of fertility for sure. And they know like once they're pregnant, they're going to have to gain weight. So gaining weight pre-pregnancy is a, is another like burden essentially, as far as the body image piece goes. Yeah, I would agree. I think that there's something more subconscious where when we are letting go of our body image or letting go of the way that we want our body to look because pregnancy does make its own impressions on our body and there's nothing we can do about it. 
I think subconsciously it creates this realization that our body and our life is no longer completely ours, that there is another force involved that creates a sense of feeling out of control because there's a second human involved. And then you can't control the body size, the shape, the, the ways in which you grow or where you grow your body. And then the fears of the, of the aftermath of what it will look like or feel like on top of taking care of another person. So I think that on the outside for someone who may not understand what body image is, they might see it as vain or as vanity, but from my point of view as a therapist, I see the fears of a body image being much more about our autonomy and our losing control and letting another force into our life. That's really going to just become more powerful than us in a sense, because we, we do have to kind of be a secondary, we have to play second, um, support to the primary, which is like carrying the child. And so that is such a subconscious overwhelming experience that I think we wrap it up in this idea of, well, I want to stay in shape, but really, you know, in therapy, we're unpacking that on the deeper levels, which is how are you handling this new life and how are you handling the adjustment and the realization that you may not have as much control as you think you do, especially with the second human involved, right? That you're growing. So body image is way more complicated than wanting to be thin or wanting to look a certain way. And people will use their diet to kind of control their body image. So that's how body image and I think restrictive diet starts to come in hand to hand. And then they be really complimentary conversations with a dietitian or a therapist, because you can't really typically talk about one without talking about the other. Throughout my 10 years as a therapist, I've learned a thing or two about growth. I've had the honor of supporting clients and becoming more resilient people, overcoming obstacles, and achieving their goals. What I've learned through this process is that there are five essential steps in every growth journey. With the goal of making personal growth accessible to all, I use these steps to create a planner series so that anyone can work on their growth anytime and anywhere. Each step includes pages of insight and skills from my personal and professional experiences and ends with 30 days of space for you to practice what you've learned. Personal growth isn't a quick process, but this series is designed to make it easy and fun. Learn more at www.simplybecounseling.net slash planners. And be sure to check out the subscription option, which gets you a planner delivered to your door every month for the next five months. Since you're a Well Not Perfect listener, you can get 10% off on any order using code WELLNOTPERFECT. There's no better day than today to tap into your own growth and resiliency. I want to flip a little bit and not talk just about fertility and infertility, but also just about uh, the menstrual cycle and how that plays a part in diet and food. Do you notice that food does impact women's cycle and that inevitably impacting their mood? Yes, absolutely. So we should have natural hormone fluctuations during the month. So, so estrogen increasing before ovulation, and then progesterone should be the primary hormone after ovulation. So first and foremost, if we're not ovulating regularly, we're not getting that progesterone to balance the estrogen. And that's a huge 
huge way that mood can be shifted um, for, for women. So progesterone is really calming and it should help help decrease anxiety and support sleep. But if, if we're getting too much estrogen or we're not getting any progesterone at all, which, which both can happen because estrogen is still around even after ovulation, um, a mood can be strongly impacted. So even to a point where, where there's a diagnosis like depression or anxiety during that premenstrual phase, um, definitely not uncommon, but nutrition can really play a really big role. So so if our blood sugar is jumping up and down all over the place, that's a message that the body's not safe enough to ovulate or ovulation is likely more likely to be irregular, which means more estrogen, less progesterone on board. And if we're not getting enough nutrients, same, same thing. So if we're just not eating enough altogether, um, even if we are eating regularly at regular schedule intervals throughout the day, if it's not enough nutrition or not enough carbohydrates, even we can see a really big impact on hormones that, that greatly impacts mood. We need nutrition. We need resources and those nutrients to be able to build hormones. And one thing that I, I, I don't think a lot of women realize is that estrogen and progesterone are both like cholesterol based hormones. So we need fat, we need saturated fat really to be able to build those most efficiently. So if we are eating low fat, no fat things, it's, it's, it's highly likely that you're not getting enough of those building blocks for those hormones and your mood is definitely going to, to suffer from that. I typically see adolescents, young adult women, women of, you know, middle age, and there are not enough conversations about these pieces. And it's a huge part of women's bodies and they're not really discussed in our session or with their physician or with their ob gyne or anything like that. It seems to be that these conversations don't happen until there's a symptom and a problem. And there's not a lot of education and then prevention medicine that goes into play for women and young adults. And that seems to be problematic because we don't know typically what signs are normal versus abnormal. If you could kind of wave your magic wand and begin to educate girls at a young age, what age would you like to educate them? And what are some basic things that you would want young girls to know about their bodies? I love that question. So definitely before early, early teens, even maybe preteens. So we're trying to catch them before their period is starting to get more information than just like, you're going to have a period, which I feel like was, was my education <laughs> at that time. Um, but, but how nutrition and lifestyle impacts your, your period and the symptoms that might come along with it. And, and there are normal symptoms, like maybe some bloating or changes in appetite, more fatigue, like those things are normal, but if we're experiencing extreme pain, that's debilitating, keeping us from doing everyday activities where we're bleeding so heavily that we can't do anything like those are concerns. And, and a lot of those things most often can be decreased greatly with nutrition and lifestyle changes. So I would, I would definitely start really early, ha hopefully have like a really positive conversation about like how their body is working and just provide more information 
on like how much control that you can have um, around decreasing the symptoms and how really important these hormones are for your body and your long-term health. So, you know, the estrogen and the progesterone, especially the progesterone. So after ovulation, we make progesterone and we have to ovulate to make progesterone. That's really, really important for brain health and heart health and bone health. And I mean, I didn't learn that till way later in life. And, you know, I, I was one who was on hormonal birth control for way too long. So I wasn't getting that benefit because we don't ovulate on hormonal contraceptives. So even that piece, like, like educating on contraceptive, but what it's actually doing and other alternatives that might be beneficial if you do need contraceptive eventually to feel safe. And, and if you do choose hormonal contraceptive, how to support your body while you're on that and, and have the information to make educated decisions for yourself on how long you might, might be on that mm -hmm. contraceptive. So in your, in your opinion with the hormonal contraceptive versus non-hormonal contraceptive, do you prefer one over the other and why? It's really individualized, honestly. Um, hormonal contraceptive can be really helpful in certain cases, but if we are focusing on fertility, I recommend non-hormonal because we want to see how the hormones are communicating. And if we are providing this synthetic hormone, we're shutting off that those lines of hormone communication or how the brain is talking to the ovaries and and progesterone at all. So we're shutting off ovulation and we have to take some time if we're going to be trying to conceive naturally for those lines of communication to start again. Um, not for everybody. It definitely depends on what your cycles look like before using hormonal contraceptive, but many women that start it young and stay on it for many years are having to experience basically puberty again because their cycles weren't fully matured. Like our cycles take several years to fully mature. And so if we're having symptoms early in life, when we go start going through puberty and we're put on that hormonal contraceptive, we're basically masking masking the symptoms and not allowing our bodies to fully mature, which can definitely impact fertility later on. And we can see it takes like 18 months to two years for cycles to re-regulate depending on when hormonal birth control is started and what the cycles look like before that. And in your experience working with women, how many women have come to you and have said, you know, I'm in therapy talking about my mood before my period, or I'm in therapy and I talk about my waves of depression or my, you know, my, my body image issues of bloating and being hungry before my cycle. What's the kind of informal kind of opinion or assessment that you have of people coming to you with the history of seeking mental health therapy and also then realizing that, Hey, this may not just be mental. This may be hormonal as well. Not enough. I mean, not enough have been, been in therapy talking about those things more and more women, especially with, with 2020 have, have started therapy, thankfully, especially with the fertility journeys that are going on. But I don't, I mean, I have women more often tell me about their stories of sharing like their mood swings or their symptoms with their OB or their, their primary care and like trying to seek guidance there. Unfortunately, 
not being encouraged to seek therapy or alternative avenues, even like nutrition or acupuncture or anything like that. So definitely, definitely not enough. Um, I definitely talk to my clients about fertility therapy and doing it as a couple um, as well as individually. But I think there's a really big gap there with with women and just talking about their their mood around their cycle specifically and kind of connecting those dots yeah because if we are noticing mood swings and feeling irritable a lot of it is going to the physician or the ob or maybe a therapist but the the people who aren't trying to conceive I could see them not really trying to work with a fertility specialist because they feel like, well, I don't want to be getting pregnant. So why would I work with a fertility specialist? But what I hear you saying, and I'm kind of reading between your lines, which is people that do what you do, it's not actually just about conceiving. It's about just knowing the expertise of hormones and the cycle and things like that. So it kind of opens up the door to more resources to say, Hey, you can work with a, a nutritionist dietitian or a fertility specialist at 15, 16, 17. You don't need to be trying to conceive to work with a fertility specialist, but you know, if you think you want to conceive in the next 10 to 20 years, that would be a good place to start. And I think it takes a very open mind to see that and to say that. But that's why we're here on the podcast is try to open people's minds. Do you ever see anyone who's not trying to conceive, but comes to you and talks to you? I used to a lot. And I, I love, I love that really. Like if I could pick my most ideal clients, it would be the ones that are in that very preconception phase. So a year or two before they're trying to conceive. So it's on their mind, but um, and, and they're definitely committed to changes, but like they have time to figure out uh, how to learn more about their cycle and learn more about what it's telling them with signs and symptoms and, and, and all of that. But absolutely, like no matter where you're at in your journey, and even if you don't think you want kids someday, like fertility is so, so important just for your overall health. So don't hesitate to reach out to a, a dietitian or somebody that is specializing in fertility and has that kind of um, holistic approach with nutrition and lifestyle to be able to support symptoms that you might be having. Um, it shouldn't be symptomatic. Um, your cycle month to month shouldn't be so symptomatic that it's stopping you from doing what what you love to do, whether that's mentally, uh, mental symptoms or um, physical symptoms that you're experiencing, like nutrition and lifestyle can go a really, really long way. So um, I have a group program that I do have more participants in there that are like preconception phase, but most often um, who I'm seeing both in my group and one-on-one are couples that have been trying to conceive for quite some time and have had like really rough, rough go of it, unfortunately. So there's a lot of mental health management there. But if, if you're listening to this and having fertility troubles, troubles now, whether you want kids in the future or not, like it can go a really long ways to work with a fertility dietitian or, or somebody like that. Yeah, I agree. I think that this is a big field in mental health, working with couples who are trying to conceive and going through the stress of what that feels like 
physically and mentally and having someone who takes time to educate you on the food and also the different options that you have is really powerful. And it's a segue into these other topics too, about body image and eating disorders and communication between couples and everything. So it's a big segue into many mental health topics, but this is a super important one for anyone who is noticing that there are barriers to their lifestyle that makes them feel ill or unwell or something. So those are really important pieces. I know that I learned a lot. I learned today, probably the most important thing is to get informed and educated and then I can empower my daughter. So as she's getting older, we can explain these things to her and really normalize the female body and everything that we need to be doing that through um, family education and kind of working with them in that way. So I learned a lot, but I think I mostly learned just the value of empowerment and to try to give back to my daughter and hopefully get this next generation a little more open and a little more comfortable with these conversations that I think, unfortunately, our generation and above kind of missed the boat as kids. Definitely. I love, I love that, that that's what you're taking away. I feel the exact same way for my daughter and definitely hope that my clientele gets younger and younger because the older, older generations don't necessarily need me. So yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Where can people find you if they're really interested in wanting to learn more? Yeah. So Instagram is a great place to check me out. I'm the dot fertility dot dietitian. I have a bunch of free info there. Um, and then my website, it's currently being redone, but brookbnutrition.com is still everything is active and live there. It'll be changing very soon. My program info is all on my websites there. And then if you're on Instagram, my, my link in my bio has a bunch of more access to my blog and other podcasts that I've done as well. Great. And everything's in the show notes as well. Quick little link to click and find you. And also lots of information on our Instagram profile. Well, not perfect and hyperlinking to you and make sure that people have access and resources that you have already created. And uh, we've checked them out already and they are really great. So I encourage everyone to go check them out and take a listen and follow and just be really inspired to inform and educate women so that we really begin to make some of those generational changes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for coming on the show. And this is another episode of Well, Not Perfect. Thank you for listening to season three. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting the subscribe button and consider leaving me a review. And for more information, all things podcast, you can connect with us on Instagram at Well, Not Perfect. See you next week.